Blog Talk Radio. You are now listening to CLNS Radio, your source for all things basketball. You cannot stop this guy. This guy is unbelievable right now, and with the way he's playing, he's played an outstanding brand of basketball. You're trying to tell me he's not the next best thing? What are you hearing? Man, all I know is this guy can fall, and if you can come out and play with him, you can play with anybody in the league. I want your opinion. Call into the show. Why don't you drive the rack? Seriously, why don't people drive the rack more often? Fed up with this cookie-cutter brand of basketball, not go out and hand-check. What are you comparing? The guy's got grit. The guy's got moxie, and the guy's got heart. What more do you want? Broadcast through Blog Talk Radio and CLNS Radio. They gonna love me for my ambition. Welcome to the Hooper's Log. He did a dream, a dream that was harder to live. Here's your host, Simo Bucket. They gonna love me for my ambition. Welcome on into episode 120, yes, 120 episodes deep starting today, and guess what, we're going to react to what happened to the postseason, uh, in the postseason, game ones are all in the books, and obviously one game two is currently underway. Welcome on into the Hoopers Log, my name is Simo Buckets, I'm here for you through CLNS Radio in the SeatGeek Studios, it is a Monday, Monday, Monday April 18th, 2016, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific here in the Pacific Northwest, where it is a record high day today. It is a very, very hot day in the Pacific Northwest, and we are here talking basketball with you and talking about everything under the sun when it comes to the world of the NBA. And we are 121, excuse me, 120 episodes deep. 121 episodes will be as of tomorrow, but as of today, for a Monday, you're listening on into the Hooper's Log as of now. If you'd like to call into the phone lines, the phone lines are 323-642-1558. We have our website up, thehooperslog.com, and also my personal website, cmobuckets.com, and also CLNS Radio. If you'd like to check out anything about them, go to clnsradio.com to check out more about them. And also anything more about me, if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, my follow, my, follow, uh, ah, my username is at cmobuckets. Dot, at CMO Buckets 253 at C M O B U C K E T S 253. And uh, over the weekend, obviously, all game ones in the book. Uh, we're gonna, what we're going to do today is we're basically going to recap them. We're going to talk about, obviously, uh, the Defensive Player of the Year Award who was, uh, uh, that was uh, announced today in the world of the NBA. And also, we're, gonna, we're basically just going to recap what happened in each game today. Uh, Andrew Norris will not be on the show. If he is, he'll be on later on. Um, it is just me solo today. Jonathan uh, Wagner is, is out. Uh, Calvin, I heard, may or may not show up in the show. But if not, if you'd like to call in and, and talk about what's going on in the world of hoops and what happened over the weekend in the playoff world, please feel free to do so and call into the show at 323 uh, And we're here. We're going to recap the playoffs for you. And, and white board performances disappear once the postseason begins. But let's start it off chronologically at what happened Saturday morning, let's get it going. Let's get it going. All right, all right, all right. We're going to learn today. For those of you that were expecting whiteboard performances, uh, the top 10, I will get that YouTube video as soon as possible. Life has been crazy busy, um, and also things have been just popping up out of nowhere. I'm halfway done with my whiteboard performances. 
the top 10 will be announced on a YouTube video, and I will also have all the information on all the white boy performances that come out, and I will give that out for you on my Twitter, at SEMOBuckets253. Again, if you'd like to call in the phone number one more time, 323-642-1558 is the number. Again, over the weekend, what happened? We had four games from each conference, eight games altogether, all game ones in the book, and obviously game twos are beginning tonight in the NBA. But let's recap what happened last night and then also talk about the Defensive Player of the Year Award once we get into it. Uh, First game on Saturday to start off the postseason was Pacers over the Raptors. 190 as the Indiana Pacers get it done. Look, this game was fascinating from multiple perspectives because the Raptors came out rather hot. Look, they got into the half. They were up by a couple. They were up by two going into halftime. They were up 45 to 43. They were looking rather good, actually. And they were looking like a team that was going to take take this take stride and take game one. They were looking really like, you know, really well-polished heading into the postseason. And then all of a sudden, their bench is really what kept them in the ball game because outside of their bench, and this has been, again, this has been the Raptors' problem over the last couple of seasons, and I mentioned it going into the postseason. Now, their bench actually played rather well in this ball game. It was their starters that definitely dropped off the map. Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan looked rather average in the second half of this ball game, And in fact, the team looked rather average themselves. Again, only scoring 45 again in the second half, being rather you know, mundane with their approach in the second half as the Pacers went off for 57, outscoring the Raptors uh, 57 to 45, dominating that game. And Paul George, talking about ice in his veins, 33 points, four rebounds, and six assists. This game came down to the Pacers' will at the end of the ball game and in the final portions of the game, the final closing minutes of the game, final eight to ten minutes of the ball game, that was where the Indiana Pacers took hold in the stranglehold of this ball game. If you were watching it live and you saw it like I was, you saw a worn-out Raptors team once again. Yes, the bench kept them in it. The bench kept them fighting to the end. But this was a game that if you watched it, you saw a Raptors team similarly to how they approached the postseason last year, a similar fashion again. The Indiana Pacers win 190 on the backbone of Paul George. And don't get me wrong, the Indiana Pacers are a seventh seed. They are not the two seed for a reason. Obviously, the Raptors are. But the Pacers and how they approached this game reminded me a lot of how the Pacers approached the playoffs uh, two years ago, three years ago, when this team made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Can they do it this year? Maybe, but the chances are slim. Clearly, they're going to play a team either in Miami or Charlotte. We'll talk about that game here in a little bit. Uh, but they'll play one of those teams if they were to win. Clearly, game two is being played right now, and the Raptors are up big at the half. Um, from what I can see, the Raptors are up rather large uh, with about eh, six minutes left to go in the second quarter, unless it re-updates uh, here in a moment. Last time I checked, Raptors were up 40 to 24. That may update here in a moment, as obviously I switch back to the game. And here it is, an update, 44 to 37. The Pacers won on a quick run obviously, to get back into the ball game, And if the Pacers do get back into the game and find a way to win it again, they'll go up 2-0 heading back to Indiana. And you could pretty much lock it up at that point as the Raptors will probably uh, lose another series in the postseason. But this game still is a long way to go, obviously, only near the halfway point of the ball game, And the Raptors and Pacers are still at it. And the Raptors just went up 46-37, got another bucket uh, from uh, Jonas Valanciunas there in that one, but the Pacers get the win in game one big, big win for the Pacers to steal home court back. It doesn't mean the Raptors can't come back in it. They're still a very, very good team. 
Um, and again, 32 and nine at home doesn't again doesn't mean you're always going to win at home in the postseason. The Warriors got it done over the Rockets in the next game, 104 to 78. Now I watched this entire game. I watched the majority of it. And I wouldn't say the entire game, but I definitely watched the majority of it. Don't get me wrong. The Warriors came out and dominated in the first half, and the game was over at halftime. No one will debate that. No one will deny that. But there was one thing you needed to like from the Rockets when watching this ball game. And if you're listening to this this broadcast as I'm coming right now, don't take me. Don't take this and think that I'm thinking I'm hating on the Warriors. But this was just a matter of fact. When you watched this ball game, the, the, the something different about the Houston Rockets came about in this game where the Houston Rockets moved the ball really well. They found ways to get into the paint, found ways to get their shot. The problem was is early in the game. Now, in the first quarter, you can make the case the Warriors just came out and played great basketball. But in the second quarter, and especially in the third quarter, you saw a Rockets team really put together some really good offensive possessions. And to give them credit, they, they found ways to get open shots. They just couldn't make any on the road. They, that's just what it came down to. And I know that sounds simple. I know that sounds generic and cliche, but it just really is the matter of fact. They could not put the ball in the hole when they had really good offensive possessions. They did. They, they had great offensive possessions in the middle of the ball game against a really good bench in the, uh, in the uh, Golden State Warriors, which is starting to turn very legendary especially as the postseason keeps going on. But this Rockets team really just clearly couldn't put the ball in the hole. When you score 78 points, that's clearly a you problem. That's not a defensive problem. When you, whenever you score less than 80 in today's NBA, it's looking more and more like a you problem, not a defensive uh, stand by the Warriors. I think the Rockets could have kept this game maybe 10 points, but still the Warriors, when you win by 26, you're clearly the better team, and they got it done in this one. Uh, as they absolutely dominated over the Rockets, 104 to 78. Steph Curry rolling his ankle. Apparently, still he is still questionable for tonight's game. We'll recap that game tomorrow for you. Obviously, as time goes forward, but the Rockets clearly got dominated. And the one thing out of this game that I really liked to see was a really chippy Rockets team. Patrick Beverly in the first six minutes of the ball game getting under Steph Curry's skin. Everyone's saying, "Oh, you know, we don't really worry about Patrick Beverly." Oh, you don't, do you? Well, now Steph Curry's got a bum ankle. And I saw him hit the floor more times in that game than I've seen him hit in probably a 10-game span throughout the NBA season. This guy got banged around in the first game. Yes, I know he rolled his ankle on a kind of a coincidental situation there with the, uh, with, with the Rockets, obviously uh, taking the ball out of bounds, twisted his ankle real quick. I don't think it was that bad, but knowing his ankle problems and knowing how this guy plays the game, this may impact him more than people think. And do I think he impacts this team overall from winning this series? No, I don't. But Going back to awards, which, again, we have an award that was announced earlier this morning that I'll get to in a little bit. How is this guy a unanimous MVP when he was hurt and out half the game and they still dominated over the Rockets? And people are saying on national radio that this guy doesn't even be on the team this, this, for this, you know, this first round and they can still win the series. What does that say about him as being a unanimous MVP? For those people out there who are just putting their ballots in for Steph Curry, do you really think that he is that important to the team? To become now a championship team, yes. Now, to become still a great team, I mean, they don't need Steph Curry to be a great team. I think if you took Steph Curry off this roster and you put him on another team, like I've said all year long, if you put Steph Curry on the Blazers and you put Damian Lillard on the Warriors, I still think the Warriors win 65, 70 games. But if you take Steph Curry and put him on the Blazers, I don't think the Blazers make the postseason. I, that's just that is just the matter of fact. That is just the nature of the beast. I think that's just ultimately what happens. I think Steph Curry is a really good shooter, one of the greatest shooters of all time, if not the greatest shooter of all time, in my opinion. 
But as a player, he's a great player, unbelievable player. But at the same time, this Warriors team is so good at so many different levels. They got Draymond Green, who in my opinion, in my opinion, if I had it my way, would be the MVP of the NBA because of his impact on this team. He's the motor of this team. Klay Thompson is probably the second greatest shooter in NBA history, and that's not too far-fetched to stray considering if it wasn't for Steph Curry, Klay Thompson would have been the one that had the second all-time three-point record. Um, And then that bench for the Warriors, which I knocked at the beginning of the season saying they're not that great, they've turned into a legendary squad. That team off the bench can start for a majority of teams in the NBA right now and put together a winning season and get into the postseason. That's how good that bench is, and that's how important they are to the Warriors. They are. They're that important. And for Steph Curry to be seen as a unanimous MVP, just because the team won 73 games, that's not all indicative of how important he meant to the team. If you want to say most outstanding player, go right ahead. If you want to say a great player from the standpoint of he's, he's incredible to watch, he's an, he's an oddity, he's, he's an outlier, go right ahead and say that. But when it comes to his importance to the team, don't sit here and tell me that Steph Curry is the most important player on his team when in reality he's just an outlier. He's just an outlier, a fun guy to watch. He's a little baby running around the court who can shoot from outside because the rules favor his abilities because he's small and he's, he's just quick enough to find a way to get around the outside. If it was the old days, no. If it was today's game, he works perfectly. And he does it and he gets it done. But is he the best player on the team? He's the most he, – he, he has the best jumper. He is, he is the most awkward shot. He takes, he takes the most – if you want to be real, he actually takes the worst – the worst uh, – uh, what do you call it? Not worst timed, but he has the most, he has the most poor shot you know, selection in the NBA. He just does. He, he flat out does. If you watch Steph Curry compared to other players, if you saw what Steph Curry did and you saw other players doing it, or even high school players doing it, they'd be benched immediately. But since it's Steph Curry, we all make an excuse and an exception for him. And people are starting to say, you know, oh, his exception is starting to become the reality, which is fair, but ultimately those exceptions will go away eventually. They will eventually go away. They will. And knowing that those exceptions will go away, this Warrior team will still click even without him in the lineup. They will. You put, you put a guy like Sean Livingston in the starting rotation, I still think they're fine. I think they're still a championship-quality team. That's not the knock on Steph Curry and say he's not important because he is especially for late in ball games, especially for clutch moments down the stretch and for when they need a big shot. But ultimately, what they got going in Golden State is so great that I don't think even Steph Curry and him being out you know, for a long period of time would even impact the, the effect of this Warrior team. They're so good. They're so good of a team that for people to just say Steph Curry ultimately dictates where this team goes, absolutely incorrect. You're false on every single uh, academy. What he does, how many points he's scored, all the threes he's had, all that, it's an anomaly. It's unbelievable. It's great. It's legendary. But at the same time, it doesn't really impact the overall impact of the team. So for him to be gone, if he is gone on the Warriors for this series, don't sit here and tell me that people should worry that Steph Curry should be out in the series because the Warriors could still sweep and ultimately win by 20 in each ball game. And that's just how it is. Does that make him an MVP most valuable from what the term stands for, valuable? No, it doesn't. He's not the unanimous MVP in the NBA. Is the MVP from the standpoint of being the most you know, outstanding, awe-like player on the best team in the planet? Sure, he is from that perspective. But if you really break down the MVP, guys like James Harden, guys like Paul George, guys like Russell Westbrook or even Kevin Durant, guys like Kawhi Leonard, guys like 
you know, the best, best players on their certain teams, if you took them off the team, Damian Lillard, a perfect example, if you took them off their team, how good would they be? I think the Warriors would still be a 65, 67, maybe still be the number one seed in the NBA without a guy like Steph Curry. How many games has he impacted for this team? I would say four or five, ultimately. But if you took Damian Lillard off the Portland Trailblazers, I guarantee you they don't sniff the playoffs and they don't even get in. They lose about 10 games due to him. That's what I mean by most valuable player. I don't know if you people feel the same way, but that's how I feel. But at the same time, either way, the guy is potentially hurt out for this next game. The team still won game one, dominated. But do not expect this chippiness to go away from a team like the Rockets, from a team like the Clippers or Trailblazers, whoever team comes out of that one. And then if the Spurs get all the way to the Western Conference Finals, or even if the Thunder get there, don't expect the chippiness to go away for Golden State. This amount of tough, this amount of, uh, you know, hitting the floor that Steph Curry did and other players did against the Rockets the other night in game one is just an example of what's to come. And Golden State, I hate to tell you, your team is amazing, your team is incredible, but you have to understand, as a fan base, the target was on your back coming into this regular season. It was there. Clearly you defied that and you broke the laws of gravity when it came to winning ballgames and coming bouncing back from from an NBA title. Kudos to you for doing that, but now understand that the target gets even more incredibly difficult coming into the postseason as a back-to-back champion with the style you play, with the style you play, Golden State, and the way that teams are going to play you in the postseason, they're going to mangle you, they're going to roughhouse you, and they're going to find ways to get under your skin, whether it's Patrick Beverly trying to push off Steph, whether it's Dwight Howard putting the shoulder to one of your small guys driving the lane, whether it's, you know, Josh Smith putting up and being a little, you know, sneaky at the rim, putting his butt out, you know, whether it's, whether it's Clay Thompson getting shoved in his grill when he shoots a three after the, after the shot and calls will not be given to you most of the time. 80% of the calls you got in the regular season will not come just because you're the Warriors. That is what the NBA does. It sets it up for the best team in the NBA, a team that ultimately, when they get into the postseason, can make the best adjustments, can adjust to the referee style of the play a game and the toughness that is required in the playoffs compared to the regular season. When you combine all of that and you think that you can still blow away opponents every single time after a game like on Saturday night or Saturday afternoon, I should say, you know, you're delusional because this team, is, do I think they're going to lose every, you know, every game? They, do I think they're going to lose all the time in the postseason? Do I think you're going to miss the finals? No, I have them going to the NBA finals. If you heard me on my playoff prediction on episode 119 last Friday, you know, the last show we just did, I said the Warriors will go to the NBA finals. But I'm telling you, I don't know who, how it's going to work with San Antonio. And don't get me wrong, I don't think this team will win the NBA finals, not because I don't like them, because what they have to go through in the Western Conference, and you just saw it in game one. Don't get me wrong, they, they dominated, they won by 26. But you also saw the Spurs, and we'll get to it in a second. You saw the Thunder win by 38. You saw the Spurs win by 32. You saw the, the Clippers win by 20. You, you're seeing the best cream of the crop rise in the West, and you're seeing the dominant performances that they're putting together. The, the Warriors haven't faced that yet. Wait till they get to that next round, and they, and they, have, to do it, they have to do it for eight wins. That is, that is brutally tough. That is going through the trenches, and that is what will make this team great if they can do it. That's what we mean by they have to find a way to finish it out and win the title. And if they do, then there is absolutely zero, no debate that they're the greatest team of all time. 
But right now, I'm telling you, with Steph Curry being a little bit bummed out, you know, with his, with his angle, and, and knowing that the Rockets are going to play even tougher and adjust, this is going to be tough for the, for the Warriors. If they have any kind of letdown from injuries, this is going to be tough. And when guys get banged up, you start to see their real character. You start to see their real, you know, how, who they really are. They, you start to see them as what they really are. You, you, see, you, you start to see basically the creation of a diamond. How diamonds are created are through pressure and, and, and tough, you know, tough circumstances. Geology pressures down on, on those diamonds and makes them, makes them what they are. And ultimately, as you, know, as you fix them and make them what they are, you can create them and they become absolutely beautiful. Why do you think they make, call them championship rings? Why do you call them championship trophies? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, it comes to grit and grind. It's not going to be easy like the regular season. The NBA is built to be a little bit easier and give guys a little bit more leeway because it is a marathon. It is an 82-game marathon. The postseason is built to be played one game at a time. And the Warriors can do that. They proved it last year. They can do it again. I'm not sitting here saying they can't. But at the same time, recognize that now the target really is on your back. And teams that, like the Rockets, they got nothing to lose. They have no pressure. Everyone thinks the Warriors should win the title. So when teams come out and play you in the postseason, they're going to get dirty. They're going to scrap. They're going to try and claw and try and do everything they can to beat you, whether that's being, quote, unquote, dirty or being competitive, which is what I call it, like Patrick Beverly. You're going to see, you're going to see guys do that. Get in their face. Get in your head. Try and beat you down. Try and bump you on the way around the screen. Try and do a little extra to get you on the ground to recognize that this is the path it takes to be a back-to-back NBA title and to be the greatest team of all time. That's what it's going to take, and this was just one game. And you won by 26, cool, but expect the adjustments and expect an even tougher way to play, especially at home. And then once you go on the road, oh, that's when you really are tested because then the refs have a little bit more of a bias for the road team. That's just how it works. Or the, excuse me, the home team. That's just how it works. That's why it's called home court advantage. And that's why when you talk about the Golden State Warriors playing at home, they should win by 26. They're the better team. People who are like, oh, they dominated. They're supposed to. 73 and 9, beating a 41 and 41 team by 26. That's supposed to happen. So don't compensate for what you're supposed to have because you're supposed to do this. If you only beat the Rockets by six or seven tonight, what's to give? You're supposed to beat them by 50 every night. You're supposed to. So, like, fans recognize that this is the path it's going to take, and it's only going to get tougher from here. The other, the other great game, that was a blowout. Warriors beat the Rockets 104-78. to The other game that night, the last game of the night on Saturday, Thunder beat the Mavericks 108-70. to I'm not even going to waste my time talking about it. This game was over in the third quarter. The Thunder scored 67 points in the middle quarters of that ball game, and they were up by 13. They were up by, excuse me, 15 going, going into the second. And then they outscored the Mavericks by 11. Then they outscored them by 16 in the next, in the next quarter. They absolutely pummeled the Mavericks on game, for game one. And, and, and Russell Westbrook, 24 points, 11 assists, five rebounds, dominating performance there for him. So you saw, you saw the Thunder really to take it to the Mavericks in game one. That's what you're supposed to do as a three, as a three seed and dominate the way they did on Saturday night. Celtics and Hawks was one of the best games, of, uh, was the best game of the weekend. Uh, the Hawks and Celtics, but at first the Hawks were playing great basketball, 30-19 to 19 up at the end of the first quarter. Hawks were up at halftime. They were up big time by about 16 points, uh, 17 points at half. And then the Celtics found a way to get some ball pressure, pressure the Hawks, get them into the game they wanted to play. 
and you saw the Celtics claw their way back into this game and make it a ball game late. This was clearly the Hawks game from the get-go, but as adjustments will show in the next game, which I don't think is either tonight, if I'm not mistaken, they do play tonight. They do not play tonight. They play on Tuesday night, uh, 4 p.m. Pacific. This show will already been been going on by the time this game has been started, Celtics and Hawks for game two. But that game between the Celtics and Hawks, you saw 102 to 101, the Hawks getting the victory. But don't get me wrong, the Celtics, they got nothing to lose in these first two games. These road teams, as you saw in a team like Indiana beating Toronto, they have nothing to lose. They don't. I mean, look, if you're a road team in the first two games, the one thing about it that you can say about being not the home team in the first round, you ain't got nothing to lose. There's no pressure on you succeeding on the road. The Celtics just lost by one on the road. Now, don't get me wrong. Celtics and Hawks have the same record, 48 to 30, 48 and 34. Both teams are the same. But all the Celtics got to do is chip away, find a way to come back in this series, win one game on the road, and they steal home court advantage. And the next thing you know, the Celtics, they could find a way to get themselves into an east, you know, into a big-time scrum and play a team like the Cavaliers, which, by the way, speaking of, the game's on Sunday. The first game of the weekend on uh, – the first game on Sunday after the Saturday games, obviously the Hawks beating the Celtics 102-101 to going up one game to none in that one. The Cavs and Pistons, I wish Andrew was here, but you talk about a game between the Cavs and Pistons that was one of the best playoff games, probably the best playoff game over the weekend from the standpoint of drama and the standpoint of just pure basketball. Look, the Pistons shot really well from the field. They got out of the gates really hot, especially in the second quarter, leading at the end, at the end of the first half. And the Cavs had to find themselves clawing their way back to win this ball game. And, and they found a way to ultimately dominate at the end. But this was truly a seesaw battle. And we've said it from the beginning. We've said it from the beginning with these, with these two teams. Obviously, Detroit taking three or four games in the regular season. It doesn't mean anything once you get to the postseason. From the, but from the standpoint of matchups, this Pistons team, when it comes to matchups, is a tough test for the Cleveland Cavaliers because of their size, because of their system, because of how they attack the ball handlers, because of how they can find ways to get guys open out on the perimeter. Look, the Pistons shot really well from the field, 50% in this ballgame, and in the first half they shot especially well. What kept the Cavaliers in it, and they shot poorly from the field, the Cavs, 44%, 34% from three. This is what kept the Pistons in it, 51% from three-point range. 75% from the line, obviously only getting there 16 times. But from the standpoint of, you know, the Pistons having to stay in it, they have to shoot well. They have to get open shots on the outside. And they have to make their easy baskets. Look, if the Pistons can pressure the Cavs by making their easy baskets when, when, when obviously when they're open, that is how they're going to put pressure on the Cavaliers because the Pistons are becoming more of that defensive dynamo that we saw back in the day. Are they as defensively oriented as they used to be? Probably not. But from the standpoint of their youth and where they're at, and considering this is a brand-new team in the postseason, really really this Pistons team is a brand-new team, Pistons team, than obviously five, ten years ago when they last got into the postseason. But from the standpoint, what they showed in this ballgame against the Cavaliers, they, they, could, they could test the Cavs. They could test it to go to six games. It could. It could really go to six. Could they win the series? No. It, they're not going to win this series. But from the standpoint of testing the Cavaliers, this is the biggest test for the Cavs. Look, I don't think anyone would have been shocked, especially after the way game one played, that this could have been a really good Eastern Conference Finals. 
I mean, and that's not tough to say. If the Pistons would have won, won, you know, a couple more games and finished the seventh or sixth spot, who's to say they wouldn't beat a team like Atlanta, the Celtics, especially with the Celtics' lack of size? Who's to say they couldn't beat a team like Charlotte and their kind of dysfunction as an overall team right now? Not that they're dysfunctional, but considering the parts they have, they're a little dysfunctional. Um, they're a little streaky. They're really good when they're streaky, but when they're not, they're, they're cold as ice. But outside of that, you know, this team is really built to go on a long journey down the stretch. And this could be the year where they could have. But obviously they're playing the Cavs in the first round. It's not going to happen. Nothing's predetermined. But this team will really have to make some unbelievable adjustments, find a way to shut down, really, they have to shut down LeBron James because 22 points and 11 assists is not shutting down an opposing player at all. Kyrie Irving going off for 31. Kevin Love really playing like the old Kevin Love we expected, 28 points, 13 rebounds. Outstanding game by him. But the rest of the team really didn't show up. And that is how the Detroit Pistons succeeded in this ball game. This was one of the best games of the, of the weekend, if not the best games of the weekend, outside of probably the Hawks and Celtics. But from the standpoint of storylines and, and drama and how this game unfolded back and forth, back and forth, Pistons shooting well, Cavaliers coming out on top. You talk about a great game for the Detroit Pistons from the standpoint of putting their best puncher's effort forth in the first game, losing 106 to 101, but on the road in a hostile environment, shooting 50 plus percent from three. Talk about a really good game for the Pistons there. A loss is a loss, but at the same time, considering the postseason, considering how young this Pistons team is, unbelievable effort by them. And they, they go down one nothing, but they have a really good chance to bounce back on Wednesday night as they play in their game two on TNT, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Obviously, the time this show will begin for episode 122. Other games from Sunday. They're really not worth mentioning. Again, if you'd like to call in and talk about the postseason and what you saw, the phone number is 323-642-1558 is the number. My name is Simo Buckets. Again, I'm in here I, individually on the Hooper's Log. If you'd like to call in, the phone number again, 323-642-1558. I'll get back to you when I can. Uh, if you are on the line, I will definitely get to you as soon as possible. Um, and then we'll talk about the Defensive Player of the Year Award, obviously, that's been announced earlier today. Uh, as time moves forward. But the other three games, obviously, not really worth mentioning because they were just flat-out domination fests from each from each team. The Heat scored 41 points in the first quarter against the Hornets. That's really all you needed to know. They scored a franchise-high 123 points in their first game. Uh, think about that. With the success this franchise has had over the last five to ten years, especially over the last five years, outside of last year, with LeBron and the boys for four years going to the four straight NBA Finals, I mean, for them to only have scored 123 the one time, and this was the first game of the postseason against a team like the Hornets. You know, obviously the Hornets' first time they've been in the postseason as a Charlotte organization since 2002. I mean, you talk about a a performance for the ages offensively for Miami, 57% from the field, 50% from three. Luol Deng shot 11 of 13 from the field with 31 points. That's all he needed to know. I mean, if you have guys like that, the bench went off. I saw in Whiteside, 21 points, 11 rebounds, three blocks. Uh, Joe Johnson, he didn't need to do too much, but he went five of eight from the field. Look, this team, if they can play a complete ball game, and Amari Stoudemire really going back in time, 11 points, three rebounds with only 17 minutes off the bench, four or six from the field. Look, this team, if they can play a complete team effort like they did in this game, which, again, I don't think will be the case every night, but Joe Johnson, Luol Deng, 
Dwayne Wade, if he shoots 50% from the field, and this team can find a way to, 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 to ground their game around what they're doing right now and just use the team the way they're using it, they will be very, very tough to beat. And really the only team in their way, if they play like this the rest of the way, is a Cleveland Cavalier team because Cleveland has the opportunity to play this team. But don't sell the heat short on what they have done here in the postseason. It is unbelievable what they did in game one. 123-91. I know they were hot from the field. I know they shot well. But also don't discount the defensive intensity they put on the Hornets. Look, if this team gets on a roll and they get into the next round and they play either a, you know, a struggling Toronto team, a, a, a worn-down Toronto team, or a, or a feisty Pacer team, I think the Pacers and Heat would be an outstanding, would be a truly outstanding second-round matchup. Think about this. If the Pacers, which, again, we're not, we're not counting out Toronto at all by any stretch of the imagination. It's only game one. All of these series are only in game one. Before you know it, by Thursday, when all these game twos are done, by Thursday, we could all be sitting here and saying, oh, what did we know after game one? That could be the case. But this Miami team, if they play this way, and, and obviously if Indiana wins the series, which could happen if they go seven or six, depending. Obviously, it's depending upon what happens tonight. But – Think about this. In the next round, if this were to be the case, Miami and Indiana in the second round, and then it would be Cleveland and Boston, or Cleveland and Atlanta in the second round. You would have the last three Eastern Conference Finals matchups in the, in, in the, in the second round of the postseason. Think about it. Cavs and Hawks, and then you'd have, you'd have Pacers and Heat, which went to the, which was the Eastern Conference Finals in 2014 and 2013. Think about that. Isn't that crazy? The last three years Eastern Conference Finals could be the matchups in the second round of the postseason. Do I think it will happen? I don't think so. I still think the Celtics have a chance to beat the Hawks, and I still think the Cavs – obviously the Cavs will beat the Pistons. Not obviously, but they'll beat the Pistons. But I also think that the other, the other two series in the Eastern Conference will be rather uh, sewed up. If Toronto figures it out, they're going to beat Indiana. And obviously a team like, uh, a team like the Miami Heat – the Charlotte Hornets will bounce back. I think they're going to play a better game the next game, and I think they'll have a better defensive uh, attitude towards the game. Uh, but if Miami keeps playing the way they're playing, it's going to be a brutal game, and it's going to be a tough one for the Hornets uh, throughout the rest of the way. Spurs dominate the Grizzlies. Look, Spurs definitely got off to a slow start, and, I, and, I, and I'm a big Spurs fan. I'll never deny that. Go Spurs, go. Always will. The other thing, though, that I, I, I need to say, and I need to say this as an objective fan and also as a Spurs fan, because there's one thing about me as a Spurs fan that I now – really look to trying to get a hold of for people when they, when they watch the NBA is fair game. And look, don't get me wrong. The Spurs definitely dominated this game in the third quarter. And that's not what I'm worried about because we definitely won this ball game in the third quarter, but where the game was tight and where the game was close and when it was kind of, you know, up in the air, the refs made it easier for the Spurs. I don't get me wrong. Home court advantage helps. It really does. That's why it's called home court advantage. But, the Spurs were not the better team in the second quarter. The, the Grizzlies were. The refs were shady at best in the second quarter. They were, they were flimsy. They were, they were kind of dry with the, with the whistle. They let a lot of things go that the Grizzlies definitely had contact on. Well, at least uh, the Spurs, when they, when they, they definitely hacked the Grizzlies multiple times in the second quarter. They didn't shoot well in the first quarter because the refs gave them nothing when they went to the paint. So, for that, I, I give the Grizzlies a little bit of a pass. 
I don't think we should have won by 32. I think it should have been more like 22 or, or 12. But even if you have to start going into that depth of excuses for a team and they, only, and they still lose by 32, there is no way the refs decided ultimately what would have happened. If the Grizzlies would have played a, set, a better third quarter and they only would have lost by 15, I think I would have made a bigger gulp for them, a bigger dive for them, saying that the refs helped out the Spurs in that one. But definitely the Spurs in that third quarter – going 33 and 14 in the, in the four, in the third quarter over the Grizzlies, that really decided the game. I mean, if you're watching the game and as a Grizzlies fan, don't get me wrong. I, I stand with you and I understand the frustrations of playing the Spurs in the first half. That was frustrating for me as well, because it's like, look, I know we're a better team, but we were not playing well in the first half. We weren't, we only scored 48 points. The, the Grizzlies only scored 37 but we sh- they should not have we should not have had 46 or 48. We should not have had 48 points. We should have had like 45 or 42. You know, and they should have had at least 45 or 42. It should have been a closer game at half. But the third quarter is where ultimately the refereeing got better. We dominated and that's ultimately where the game was won and I'll leave it at that. Getting it done 106 to 74 winning by 32 in game 1 for the Spurs going up one nothing in that series there. And then the Clippers and Trailblazers last night looked the Clippers are just too much size-wise, uh, overall depth uh, as a team. One fifteen to ninety-five over the Blazers, getting it done in LA. Uh, the Clippers getting it done in that one, just overall domination. And what's funny is the Trailblazers tried to pull the hack of DeAndre at the end of the ball game. And what's funny is is like at that point the Clippers were up by almost 25, 30 points, and the Trailblazers were trying to pull the hack of DeAndre, just kind of extend the game to get it going. Kind of a weird strategy, but that's kind of how the NBA has been going over the last couple of days or a couple of years, I should say, when it comes to, you know, uh, getting back into ball games and hacking guys who are weak at the, pre- at the free throw line. And DeAndre Jordan is uh, one of the worst in the NBA. I mean, he shot an air ball in his first three free throw attempts in the ball game. Um, but Chris Paul, again, Charles Barkley said it, one of the best leaders we have in the NBA, Damian Lillard and TJ McCollum. And they said it best. This really was like the Trailblazers had a lot of poor shot selections in this ball game. That's just how it went. That's just how it was. And for that alone, look, you got to give credit to the Clippers for taking advantage, playing a better ball game, and ultimately just getting better shot selections and, and ultimately getting, getting you know, openings for lanes and finding ways to capitalize off, off transition plays. Look, that's what the Clippers did. They dominated. They beat the Trailblazers 115-95. They went up 1-0 in that Western Conference first-round ball game there. So that's your first round of the Western Conference or, or NBA um, obviously, they're, they're, they're entering the second half here. Raptors and Pacers, a close ball game. The Pacers are chipping away. They outscored the Raptors 32-26. I'm going to tune into that one here in just a little bit. I'm going to go on a run and get, my, get my, uh, my athleticism on. Thunder and Mavericks. Mavericks are up 24-20 into the first quarter. You're starting to see some, you're starting to see some bounce back play from these teams that lost the night in the NBA and will be off here in just a little bit. So that's your recap of the weekend. And what happened there? Defensive player of the year has been awarded to, yes, Kawhi Leonard, my guy in San Antonio, Kawhi Leonard. And there are people up in, up in arms about this and people frustrated about Kawhi Leonard being the defensive player of the year. And look, what he did this year, last year, I would not debate the fact that a guy like DeAndre Jordan or even Draymond Green should have won defensive player of the year. I won't debate that. I think Kawhi was overrated last year. The difference this year, and this is where I'll go, and then I'll, and then I'll get off the air, and I'll get you guys back to your basketball if you're listening live. Um, with Kawhi Leonard winning Defensive Player of the Year, if you'd like to call and talk about this, feel free to do so. 
1558 is the number. Again, one more time, 323-642-1558 is the number. And, and I'll talk about this for about five minutes, and I'll get off the air. Um, Kawhi Leonard won Defensive Player of the Year this year because there were multiple times where he played guys like Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, LeBron James, you name it. Did he shut them down? Probably not overall. Definitely no. But from the standpoint of improving his overall game, and even, you know, shockingly enough, last year when I thought he wasn't as good defensively as people were giving him credit for, this year, defensively, he was out of this world better. I mean, do his stats say that he was the best defensive player? Probably not. Hassan Whiteside's stats are better. But from the standpoint of overall team defense, overall how this team operates, the San Antonio Spurs, why they won 67 games this year, why they went 40-1 and at home, why they prevented the most points of any team in the NBA against other teams was because of Kawhi Leonard. And Kawhi Leonard was the operating system of why this team defensively was as great as they were this year. Draymond Green, could he have won the award? I would not have been upset about it. If Hassan Whiteside won the award, I would have questioned it, but I would have understood. Now, Kawhi winning it was for a lot of reasons. The guy is improving overall as a basketball player. He's turning into a top three small forward in the league with Kevin Durant. You know, he, he's, he's leaping over a guy like Paul George. That's just the nature of the beast. Paul George is not as good of a guy, a team around him as Kawhi Leonard. Probably not. But, and Paul George is one of the best small forwards in the league, and he's debatable top three. But from the standpoint of overall, overall game, you know, he's not better than KD talent-wise. He's not better than Paul George talent-wise. He's definitely not better than Carmelo Anthony or even LeBron James talent-wise. But when it comes to overall game, defensively, instincts, intellect, um, when it comes to his ability to, to attack the ball, play the best team's player, Kawhi Leonard does it better than pretty much everybody in the league. And he'll play every single position on the floor and play them to a very well level on top of come to the other side of the floor – take offensive plays off the dribble and, and create for his team. That is why this guy won defensive player of the year, because in transition, he is a nightmare. When he gets a steal, he's a nightmare. He's a one man wrecking crew. He has completely gotten better over the last year and a half, two years since he even won his MB, his, his, uh, his uh, most valuable player in the finals. He's only gotten better, which is crazy because I thought his ceiling was what he did two years ago. But now, and what he did last year, he improved a little bit, but not enough. This year, he has definitely taken the steps to be considered a top three small forward in the NBA. And now, with winning a second defensive player of the year, which this year I feel like is more understood, but at the same time, I do feel bad for a guy like Draymond Green from last year, a guy like DeAndre Jordan from last year who definitely got hosed. But this year, I feel like it's more understood why he won defensive player of the year and i get the outrage of people and the 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 statisticians out there and and the advanced metrics look i get where you're coming from but when you use the eye test when you watch the game when you watch how this guy creates for his team defensively and changes the, the the impact of the game on the defensive side of the floor you understand why Kawhi leonard was as powerful as an impact as he was for this team and you understand why he was given defensive player of the year. Congrats to Kawhi Leonard. Congrats to the San Antonio Spurs for getting game one of, the, of their playoff game and then winning 106 to 74 as they move into game two, which I believe will be played either tomorrow or on Wednesday. So that's it for the show. 
Uh, obviously, no one wanted to call in today about the Hooper's Log. Everyone's probably watching playoff basketball. I totally get it. I totally understand. Uh, my name is Simo Buckets. I'm here for you through CLNS Radio. Episode 120 is in the books. we got about a minute left on the show. Episode 120, episode 121, same time, same place tomorrow, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Definitely there will be some playoff games getting started, but we will get it all started off for you here and recap the night before in the NBA here on the Hoopers Lock. Thank you again for calling in, everybody. Uh, if you'd like to call in next time, the phone number is 323-642-1558. Again, that's it. Episode 120 is in the books. We recapped the playoffs. We recapped everything. Expect that White Bullwood performance uh, YouTube video coming up. I expect it at the latest uh, on Wednesday. Be tuned in for that. I will give the top 10 White Bullwood performances on the show within the next couple of days, and I'll also tally up every single White Bullwood performance. I am halfway through the season so far. I am nearly there. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of stress. A lot of things on my on my plate when it comes to the White Boys performance and the radio show. Thank you again for calling in, everybody, uh, and, and listening in live, whether it's through the iTunes, whether it's through live through on Blog Talk Radio, CLNS Radio, coming to you live from CLNS Radio here. I'm out in the Pacific Northwest. My name is Simo Buckets. I am out. I will see y'all tomorrow. Same time, same place for episode 121, episode 120 in the books. See you tomorrow. Peace, everybody. Enjoy the playoffs.